You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network Classics Collection episode. This episode was originally released under our parent podcast, Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Sort of the biggest period the for white us? Suit. The whole white, white suit, suit, the whole thing, the 49 years. My sideburns are not to be ridiculed by you. Hey, Cap. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode. This is Season 1, Episode 21. 1966. Uh, This is one of my favorite season one episodes, and I have enjoyed it lots, but I don't think I quite enjoyed it the same way as watching it fresh with Matt through Matt's eyes. (laughs) It's a pretty ridiculous episode, all told. This is our... The 90s was really comfortable with presenting you with mysticism that they didn't feel the need to explain that they just wanted you to accept. Maybe it had something to do with the satanic panic of this era. Which one followed the other? The acceptance of, you know what satanic panic is, right? Oh, yeah. The acceptance of mysticism, full stop. Did that lead to the satanic panic? Or did the satanic panic lead to, like, sure, you can tell me there's a magical book that contains cures for curses, and it's in the basement of this library, and you can find it in a day, and it's all true, and it can cure vampires. Sure, it I'll probably coincided it. with like the the cultural acceptance of mysticism principles. Probably coincided with the like New Age movement, uh, like Eastern philosophies. Yeah, in like California, there was a bunch of um, like yogis set up shop after they'd spent time in India. Yeah. Yeah, we're hot off the heels of the like late 70s, early 80s cult explosion. So this is a time period where I think we're becoming more aware of the world. The world is getting bigger. TV has exploded. You are seeing newscasts and media. A lot of globalization. A lot of globalization is happening. And so we're becoming aware of all of these different cultures in a way that we had not previously been. Right. And we as old as we are, have grown up in a global world where all of these things were accessible. And for a lot of people who grew up, if you're born in the 60s, you're 30 in 1990, uh, what a wild change from 1960 to 1990. So maybe that's why we can have an episode like this. And it doesn't probably didn't feel as out of place as it does now. Uh, but before we get too far... Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So the reason we're chatting all about this, because the main theme of this episode is really the flashback. We have Right, a, this is this episode is ninety percent flashback and ten percent present day rather than the other way around. The normal formula. Yeah. And 
the flashback really focuses on Nick trying to find this book that he has supposedly been searching for for a really, really long time. And he's finally narrowed it down to East Berlin. During the time when we had West Germany and East Germany and we still had the Berlin Wall. And he has gotten over to that side. He's found the library and he has a very limited time to try to find this book because it contains the cure for vampirism. And even Lacroix believes this. So Lacroix is, well, of course. Lacroix is convinced of Nick's confidence that this book contains the cure. You know what? Yes. And Lacroix doesn't actually care about the cure for vampirism. He, Lacroix cares about fucking with Nick. And so Lacroix <laughs> knows very confidently that interfering with Nick getting this book is the most uh, effective, impactful manipulation that he can do right now, yeah. whether or not he's actually preventing Nick from becoming a human again. It doesn't even matter if he believes it's in there or not. He wants Nick to believe it is because he wants Nick to believe like he took it from because him. He, yeah, he wants yeah. Nick to feel like he almost got it. And right before he had it in his hands, yoink, yoink. Yeah. Lacroix loves a good yoink. A, oh, you thought you had that? No. Psych. Psych. I take it from you. I burn it in your face. Or I let you burn it. You know, he has a lot of ways of manipulating Nick. And Nick is very easily manipulatable. So really, Lacroix has had a really good time over the years. And you'd think at some point in 800 years, you would realize Lacroix is an asshole and he's just fucking with you most of the time. But this is an example of where someone should have dropped the toxic person from their life, but they have not. Well, I would argue Nick has tried very, tried. very hard. That's, that's to, a good point. To drop Lacroix and Lacroix is just like, <laughs> nice, but no. I have all the time in the world to find you and I'm more than willing to use it because I got nothing better to do. You have literally been my source of entertainment for so long. I'm really reluctant to give you up. I think part of Lacroix wants Nicholas to be his brother in arms, his vampire son, who will, you know, burn the world with him. Right, who has the same motivations and worldview. Right, because does. Lacroix has no shortage of vampire lackeys that he can get on his side to do stuff with. But for some reason, Nicholas is the one he can't let go. Maybe it's because Nicholas fundamentally is unattainable, like uncorruptible to a certain extent. Yeah. He may be the and mirror. It's the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. He may be the mirror that Lacroix doesn't want. The uh, no matter how old I am, no matter how much I've done, I still want to be a better person. And it reminds other vampires of the fact that. They don't have to accept who they have become. They can strive for something better. Right. They've, they've pulled themselves far enough from their humanity that they can't even see it anymore. Right. And Nicholas is shining a flashlight on humanity and they can see how far they've come. And that little tiny bit that may be left yep. is trying to make that go away. Right. And Laquan needs to prove that it doesn't exist. So that, or that it doesn't 
it's it, it will never ultimately work. futile. Yeah. And useless to even pursue. Right. That's season one LaCroix and season two LaCroix. Season three LaCroix gets framed a lot differently. And when we get there, we'll discuss that. Um, he's much less, my entire purpose is to fuck with you. And much more, I just want a companion who is who I perceive as my equal. And I just wanted you to be my friend and my son. And I could never seem to connect with you, no matter how hard I tried. Like a psychopath was trying to make a best friend and just kept killing small animals and being like, I brought you a gift. And Nicholas is like, what the fuck? But Quas just like, but I did this for you. Um, that's kind of how they reframe him. It's much more of like, a, he didn't know how to have a son. And so this was his attempt. And he's just tired of fighting with Nicholas. And he's ready to just be friends. Um, but when we get there, we'll get there. Uh, in the meantime, we actually start in present day. Even though we're going to spend most of our time in the past, we start in the present day. And Nick is wearing one of my favorite outfits of season one, which is the black pants, black button-up shirt combo. Not the bacon shirt, just straight black. So no silver zigzags. And he's actually, he must have had a jacket on because he's got his shoulder holster on. Like he had a jacket over it. Yeah. But he's in the precinct, so he's not wearing his jacket. For once, he's not wearing his jacket, even though he always wears his outside jacket no matter where they go. And Natalie gets taken hostage like immediately in the episode. So the setup of our crime isn't a murder. It's a hostage situation. And Natalie's the hostage. And Natalie's the hostage. And this guy actually has like a noose tied to his shotgun. Right. So the shotgun is always at the right distance and pointed toward Natalie. Right. And she can't run away. If she does, she could set the gun off. So that's how we started up. start up. And Skanky is there and Nick is there. And we get the implication that Skanky is only there because he's covering a night shift detective. That's why he's here so late at night. And he's like, remind me next time to tell them no. Like, I'm not going to do it. And so he's trying to sit at this guy's desk. And this guy's desk is wildly unorganized. And so he goes to pull the drawer out. And the whole drawer falls out. And Skanky's like, he'll be back in three days. I could just leave it like that. He won't notice. It'll be fine. And Nick's like, pick it up. <laughs> so Skanky ends up getting down on his hands and knees, which this is, of course, it's necessary for Skanky's role in the plot is this whole exchange, the drawer getting down. And right before that, um, we find out that there is a group of people in the lobby and they're Korean apparently, because that's what Nick speaks to them when he comes out and he's like, well, why are they there? <laughs> Skanky's like, oh, some, he uses the words like gangbanger, some homeboy. It was a very nineties um, exchange. Right. Where we were really using terminology that would be considered offensive now. Um, but it's the 90s. I don't know how you want to take that. It just is what it is. We can't go back right. and retcon these recordings. Language was what it was at the time. Uh, but this gunman wants his brother, Jimmy Lee, to be released. And he's being held in, in the prison, in, right. the in the precinct. Yeah, and um, I think we should rename Captain Stone Tree to Captain Stone-Faced in the Face of Danger. Because we're just coming off an episode where he just coldly, casually talked to this guy who was trying to kill him. And now we are in another situation where someone's trying to kill Natalie and he's like, Sup, man? How's it going? So you got a gun there. What you gonna do with that? 
It's a little weird. <laughs> it's so calm. He actually baits the gunman at one point. And Nick is also calm, but Nick isn't going to die. This isn't a situation where Nick is going to die. Unless someone starts threatening to shoot people with a crossbow, he's gravy. Nothing's going to happen. And so, of course, he's calm, but so is Stone Tree. And so Nick appoints himself hostage liaison. Right. He just starts talking directly to the guy. Yeah. And showing no fear. And so it kind of puts the guy off a little bit. Right. As does Stone Tree. And then we go to the flashback, which oh, I... Nick, Nick approaches him. Yeah, he starts that, walking towards him. He's like, we're all... Stone Tree's here. just kind of leaning back with his arm on the counter like, you know, so, we're we're kind of in the same situation now. Yeah. You're in the same situation as us. You don't think you're Because getting... this place is surrounded by people holding you hostage. Yeah, he's like, you're not getting out of here. You realize that, right? And then we go to our flashback. But then Nick, Nick approaches him. Yeah. Um, Whereas Stone Tree's Which, more just observing and poor commenting. Poor Natalie. Natalie's like, please, please don't fuck around right now. Like, I, I am not I am not Stone Tree. I am not Nick. I have a noose around my neck and this guy's going to shoot me in the head. Can we all stop playing who has the biggest balls right now? Right. Seriously? And, and like, no qualms. Nick, like, wink, wink. If you need to do something that might expose you. I'm okay with that. I'll help you cover up. <laughs> I am absolutely okay. For the first time ever, Nick isn't willing to just vampire run his way into this. He's like, oh, I'm going to try to finesse my way through this. And Natalie's like, I really wish you wouldn't. <laughs> really Natalie, you I'm would. trying so hard to do it the human way. See? See how good I am See, at this? I'm, I'm good at the human way. Um, he does try to hypnotize the guy. He tries to make him afraid by using hypnotism. Because that's when he says we're all hostages here. And we yeah. go to our flashback, which I don't know how this flashback is related. The fact that they're all hostages. I think we I just. Guess. We put so much work into this flashback. We needed an elevator set for the for the main story, for the right. present time story. We couldn't have a ton of extras. We couldn't have a, a set that we had to move around in. We probably had to get the filming on that done all at once. So they just stay in one area. And so I think this was the most convenient way to do that. But it doesn't really relate to the flashback all that much. Because we we kind of tangentially move to Nick is looking at some books and somebody holds a like the end of a mop up against his back. And he's like, don't move. Because they all have uh, German accents. They're all speaking English in a German accent. That's how we know we're in Germany. That's how we know we're because in Germany. Instead of like communicating that we're in Germany explicitly and yeah. then just having everybody speak English. Right, which this is filmed, what, four years after the Berlin Wall came down? Not that long. I think it was yeah. 1989. If I'm wrong, I'm just really sorry. But I know it's right around there. Um, I do know that they handed out Coke when they took yes, the wall Coke down. Coke was there. Coca-Cola was there. And that's why Coca-Cola is more popular. In Europe. In Europe than, than Pepsi. Uh, but this is Bernard. Bernard. And uh, Nick's like, is that thing loaded? He's like, I'll run you through with it. He's like, okay, well, actually, that might be a problem. <laughs> and this actor is going to come back, Bernard. He comes oh, back really? in a season. Maybe it's season, it's season three. He comes back in a season three episode. As the same character or no, different? No, okay. Totally of course different. not. Yeah. Of course no, not. totally different. It's um, a doppelganger. Yeah. 
And so Nick turns around and he's like, oh, you know, I'm an American. I'm here just looking for a book. Uh, maybe you guys can help me. And he's like, oh, yeah, my dad's downstairs. <laughs> we go from <laughs> He gives his dad up immediately. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have books. Um, for some reason, even though we're the night custodians of this library, we spend all of our time down in the basement of this library. My interpretation was that they used to be like the managers of the library. Yeah. But when the Russians came in, they they all got put on like manual labor jobs. Yeah. And so even though they are, you know, educated and qualified and experienced in running this library, it was more of a, you know, just put everybody down a notch. Yeah. By not letting them do their their trained well, profession. Well, it's encouraging you to cooperate with the party. Right. Because if you cooperate, you get a better job. If you don't cooperate, you get to be mm. a custodian at this at whatever. Um, that they they more or less say that. Yes. Um, later, and so after just throwing his dad under the bus, he then leads him to his father, who is downstairs. And Nick is real, real threatening right at the beginning. The guy pulls like a little knife. It looks like the knife you get from a gag shop, where you yeah, or you 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 push the button and a comb comes out. <laughs> like um but he he tries to threaten nick with this knife and nick just takes the knife from him and he's like look i'm here for the aberrat and i'll get it however i can and if i have to go through you it's not a problem and then the hot chick shows up and he's like actually i can help you and you can help me and we can all cooperate let's make a deal let's make a deal hi he's like oh i didn't realize there was a woman here oh that changes now i can get something out of this yeah now i'm more than willing to um, invest emotionally in this situation because I may be able to get something out of it. And so she asks him why he's looking for the Aberrat, and he says because it contains the cure, cure. for curses. Cures to curses. Why are you interested in the ancient book of miracles? What's in it for you? A cure. According to legend, the Aberrat contains cures for curses. Maybe the internal security will assist you. Yeah, and she's like, well, it's not going to do you much good unless you can read ancient Sanskrit. And he's like, well, I've you know, got time. I've got time. I can learn that. But she's studied ancient languages. Even though she's the custodian at this library, she has a university degree. She can apparently just read ancient Sanskrit without having to spend any time. Well, maybe that's what she studied at Right, and I think she she implied that she had studied Ancient yeah. Sanskrit. And she's actually like, you know what? That's a really good question for um, the police. And I think I'm going to go call them, which is a very justified and reasonable reaction to this strange man wandering into your workplace. And he's like, actually, I see what you're doing there. You're looking in that map. You're trying to find a way out underneath the wall through the catacombs. and But you're looking in the wrong place. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, these I'm, maps are I know where the old. entrance to the catacombs is. Yeah, they're like, these maps are 200 years old. There's no possible way you could know. And he's like, meh, I drink and I know things. No, I've, I've done my research. <laughs> I drink and I know things. <laughs> um, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're just going to accept that wholesale. Actually, they don't. They don't. They make him show them where the entrance is um, before they agree to help with the books. And so we find out that the secret library was like a Nazi cache of information uh, because at the end of the war, they well, it got really was, desperate. It was the libraries that they had kind of taken. Yeah, well, they it's it's known, like it's factual, that at the end of the war... Um, 
Oh yeah, Hitler, Hitler was, was super into any kind of mysticism or yeah. occult powers. I mean, that's the plot of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's the plot of uh, Captain America. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so they're just they're riffing on that that they had gathered all these items, they'd put them down in this in this secret cache. Right, um, and Nick knew. The last known location for this book was in this one particular person's personal library. Mm-hmm. And then that library had been stolen, taken by the Nazis and put into this just like warehouse of books to be reviewed later. Yeah. Which luckily it's not like the warehouse from the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like two rooms with some crates in it. They kind of imply there's more. But some, okay, yes. But... It, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's multiple fine. rooms of boxes you know of books. It is 90s television physics. So we'll just go with that. All right. Yeah. That's, well, you know what? That's a reasonable explanation for, for everything that happens because somehow we get through all of these books in like an evening, maybe two evenings. Because he takes them to the old Bergen church and he ends up showing them where the entrance to the catacombs are, which he has to throw this really heavy stone. And Garrett Wynn Davies always does this thing with his hands after he does like a vampire throw where he like holds his fingers straight out for a second and does this like, oh, I just did a hard thing. And look how creepy my hands are. I've been trying to unpack why that's so weird to me because he's really just pausing for a moment afterwards. And I think Garrett Wynn Davies has really long fingers and it makes it a little bit creepier when he does that. And so if you pay attention, I really think he does have really long, like he has long fingers. And so it makes this motion that he does look really disturbing. So he throws this rock and then he does his like vampire pose for a minute. And then he's like, oh, it's over here. And so they come over, they climb down, they get far enough in to realize that these are the catacombs. And then he's like, uh, we're not going right now. You promised me we would find this book. Plus we left the hot chick back at the library. So we got to go back there. And so they're leaving and he does this crouch thing where they're all talking and he's like perched on a, on some rubble. And he's like, we'll get together tomorrow at midnight. We'll meet at the library. We'll find the book and then we'll leave after that. So somehow we're going to get this all done before dawn tomorrow. It's going to be fine. And so they leave. And of course we go back to the present time. And this is when Stone Tree is really showing off his... His stoicism. Cool. Yeah, his stoicism. Because he is totally unflappable. And they're trying to convince this guy that this is never going to work. That this place is already surrounded. This is a known hostage situation. He's never leaving with his brother. Your loyalty to your brother is admirable. Hey, he's always been there for me. So now I am here for him. It's not going to get you anywhere. Can you imagine... What it's like outside this building right now. I'm going to get out of here, all right? See, they are going to get me out of here. And she is going to get me out of here. I'll get out. I'll get out. Go ahead. Take a look for yourself. See what you're up against. There's at least a dozen heavily armed officers out there right now. You and your brother will step outside. I'll take you out so fast you won't know what hit you. And so they're trying to systematically remove all the bystanders from the room. Right, so you have the Korean family that had been rescued from the the gang or whatever. Yeah. And 
okay, let's get these bystanders out who've already been traumatized enough. Let's get them out of here. Right. Because they're, they're not your targets. They don't help you get what you want. Yeah. It only makes it, uh, it only increases the pressure for the police outside to come in and take you out ASAP. Right. Because there's so many unrelated bystanders. So it's to your benefit to start releasing these hostages. All right. Okay. So then we go back to the past again. And so they've shown up at the library and they're doing some research. And of course, the Quas there. And we got a glimpse of him previously, but now he's up to shenanigans. So he's reporting them to the police. Right. We're all hostages to something. This is the land of broken spirits, like living dead for some of us. Well, I can certainly relate to that. Except for the party members, of course. And then we cut back. And they're looking through books, or looking through all these crates, which, by the time they get done, they only have one crate left to search. Which, of course, it's always in the last place you look. Always in the last crate. And they leave. You could have just taken the whole crate. Right. You could have just snagged it. He's strong enough. You could have just been like, okay, we didn't get a chance to search this crate. I can just pick this crate up. And stash it or take it with us or whatever. But anyway, that's a whole, well, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. So this is one of my favorite scenes in this episode is we go to do the dinner scene. And that's where they're working. And they need five minutes. She's like, let's do as you Americans say. We will take five minutes because it's dinner time. So they go up and they each get like a jelly jar full of vodka. This would knock me out far longer than five minutes. It is a substantial amount of vodka and toast. Yeah, it's like a 12 or 16 ounce soda can worth of (laughs) Of just straight straight vodka. vodka. And they get a piece of toast and some potted meat. The dad's like, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't stink. (laughs) oh okay and so he gives it to nick and nick has to eat it and so we get his like oh yeah (laughs) he tries to drink the vodka to wash it down and it's just straight vodka so he's like oh god (laughs) poor nick i I think so i think garrett is a a good comedic actor he's probably generally a goofy dude and so mm-hmm. any moment when he gets to be goofy, he's really good. He right. really shines. So this is the moment where he gets to be a little bit goofy. Because if he had just played this straight, it wouldn't have been as funny. But he's really trying to look like he hates this Right. Food. While, while we have the other two people in frame focused on their food, he's like in the back out of their line of sight and just comedically like gagging yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's really funny and then they all drink their their 16 ounces of vodka and then go back to work like they wouldn't be completely (laughs) off the jump (laughs) we did the drunk forever night episode we did one shot which was really like a double shot and then i had three five percent hard seltzers and i was gone (laughs) if you gave me this cup this giant container of vodka and i drank it at lunch you couldn't expect anything from me for the rest of the day (laughs) i guess maybe if it's the only thing maybe it's i don't know i don't know it's implied that this is straight vodka because they were like we don't have anything else but we have plenty of vodka 
So if you drink that instead of water, maybe after a while... You get used to it? You get used to it? I don't know. But she doesn't seem as knocked out as I would be. And we keep establishing this general lack of trust between Lily, who is the woman, and Bernard and the grandfather, or the father. um, Bernard and the father, and um, Nick. Understandably. Understandably, because uh, motivation's unclear. I mean, he came in threatened their lives, saw they had a sister, was suddenly nice to them. Um, yeah, you know, so Bernard has gone back to... Right. And the the Soviet party is known for... Subterfuge. Uh, yeah, sending people yeah. in to gain people's trust, and then once they you know, reveal their uh, illegal behaviors, boom, call the team in and raid the house. Right. And Bernard actually gets caught. So Bernard has gone back to get packed. And as he's getting packed and getting ready to leave, the police show up. And they catch him. And we get an interrogation scene where they use the same slap. Like the same. The the guy's same, like, jerk his head back. Yeah. (laughs) Every every single time he gets hit, they use the exact same clip over and over and over again. Like, he nailed it. And they were like, you know what? We're not going (laughs) to risk it. We'll just keep using the same one. My interpretation was. This guy wasn't doing a good job with the throw the head back reaction. Yeah. And they were like, okay, we only got one good take of him like getting hit. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just cut it. We'll fix so it. So he's post. getting hit it's different fine. directions. <laughs> and every time he throws his head, he the gets exact punched same way. and they use the same one where his head flops off to the side. And then we cut back to Nick at the library. And this is where Lily is looking at this parchment. And I only bring this up because she's talking about how this references the apparatus. So maybe they're getting closer. And he's like, oh, really? So he sits down next to her while she's looking at it. And then he stares at her for like five fucking minutes. He is just maintaining eye contact with like her cheekbone and her eye, like her side eye for so long. And I have to give Lily credit. Every other woman immediately is falling all over themselves for Nick. She is not. She looks uncomfortable with the amount of attention that he's giving her. And I would be too if someone sat and like, he's breathing in her ear. (laughs) It's like inches from her face. Inches from her face. And it's just like (laughs) (laughs) for five minutes while she's trying to talk to him. And then she actually threatens him. She's like, you know what? I really hope you are our friend because one, you're wigging me out. I got to say this proximity is a little, I'm down here alone with you. And I just realized that <laughs> and I'm a little weirded out. And if you do anything to harm any of us, I'll kill you myself. I hope you are not trying to deceive us, Mr. Thomas. The same applies to you, Lily. But then you'll just have to trust me. I hope that you are telling us the truth because if you are not, if you are a member of the secret police, if you do betray our trust, I will kill you myself. FYI. And he's like, duly noted. <laughs> it's the vodka. It must give her some kind of protection <laughs> against his his uh, charisma. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a book series I read where if they're inebriated, they can't be like vampire hypnotized doesn't work mm-hmm. so maybe it was like a, it was a defense mechanism <laughs> it's just like, in my notes it says what the fuck nick look away <laughs> it's just like, 
It's so weird. And then we cut back to the present. And this is <laughs> this is where this episode really got going because we were <laughs> laughing so hard from the stare to the end. Because when we cut back, um, things have escalated. And this guy is finally, um, he grabs a gun from an officer and he starts shooting people. And he actually shoots Stone Tree. And Gary Farmer does this like hands to the side, turn and, and flop. Whoop. Like he spins to make sure he's falling on the mat. And then he just goes, boop. (laughs) We rewound it and watched it four times. It looks like, I have it in my notes as the stone tree fish flop. Because he just does like a whoop. (laughs) And it's to prove the situation is serious. And of course it is. He just got shot. But just like the boat. All respect to Gary Farmer. Love Gary Farmer to death. Um, that wasn't choreographed well. Okay, we'll just put it that way. It, to his credit, he has to go around the corner of the desk. He's kind of at the edge of the desk. So if he fell incorrectly, he would have smacked the desk. Right. So he's really got to aim for his mat. And so he really does turn and check right. it. He's not and a stuntman. No, he's not a stuntman. And they maybe couldn't find a stuntman. Because st- we often use a stuntman for Nick. Um right. You, I don't know what his name is, but he's got an amazing wig because he's always wearing the same like Nick wig, no matter how much Nick's uh, hair has changed from episode to episode. <laughs> um, but I don't think we, we just didn't. Gary Farmer's never out. Why would you have sourced and hired? He, he only exists in the mini mart and the police office, like right. the police precinct and oh, the junkyard where we met him last week. Oh, and he so Nick like crouches down next to him and he does the like. Grab Nick's shirt, and he's like, remember the most important thing here. Nick's like, Natalie? He's like, no, fuck Natalie. The family. (laughs) The Korean family. (laughs) The people who are not in anyone's direct line of fire. Those people, they're the most important ones here. You have to get get them them out. out. (laughs) Natalie's just quietly weeping (laughs) over the gun. We got plenty of coroners. Grace can take her job. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but not that family. <laughs> uh, and this is when we get the world's most repeated slap scene right here because we're interrogating Bernard. And dad has gone to find Bernard and he goes and realizes there's a bunch of police cars outside their house. So, uh oh, they have been told on by somebody and the only obvious person for that is nick which is of course what lacroix wanted he right. wanted but to it's break actually them up. lacroix it's actually LaCroix, because lacroix wanted either to break up whatever nick was doing or just throw nick a curveball and see how he handles see, it he's just it's a growth opportunity <laughs> it's a growth opportunity how um, how well has nicola improved on handling uh, you know and a false sense of betrayal among his friends. Yeah, let's see. Let's, 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 see, put him let's in, just see what he does. Let's drop him in this fishbowl and uh, see how he swims. It'll be fine. Popcorn eating meme. <laughs> He's actually in the apartment. And the the police guy is like, oh, I'd really like to get my hands on this American. I'm going to interrogate him, too. <laughs> and Lacroix's like, you're not going to be able to get him. And he's like, oh, that's you interesting. You know him? You know him? Maybe mm. I should interrogate you. And Lacroix's like, oh, please. The American is mine. After we interrogate him, you can do whatever you please with him. You will not be able to arrest him. Oh, you know him. Perhaps we should interrogate you. Try. Try. (laughs) 
I want to live my like, life sotto voce. I know. I want to live my life sotto voce, like Lacroix. It just, I'm never going to speak loud enough for anyone. I'm just going to be like, yes. <laughs> do, what do you want? <laughs> do you want whipped cream on that? Maybe. <laughs> just sotto voce everything. <laughs> and <laughs> try to always make profound statements. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything's like a, a philosophical rant for absolutely yeah. no reason. Just in everyday situation, we know actually we do that already. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we just don't do it. Soda voce. God damn. All right. Well, uh, so poor Natalie, um, who is not important here. I want everyone to remember oh, that from Stone Tree's perspective. Yeah, uh, yeah, and Nick's because he makes. Yeah, it, it, it. He's kind of trying to free her, but he's also like, I'm right here. I could probably move fast enough to stop anything that happened until the guy pulls out a grenade. Grenade! And Natalie looks really worried, which she shouldn't. She's the only one here who knows for a fucking fact that Nick can survive a bomb. Right. Because that's how they met. He jumped on a pipe bomb to save a family. And he put himself back together in the little body bag. So yep. she knows for sure he's going to be fine. But she's like, oh, no, she could be worried for herself. That would be fair. Right. Yeah. Like, is his body going to absorb enough of the blast to protect the Her. other people around? She's also still roped to a gun. So Nick does manage to get Stone Tree and the family out uh, by pushing the gunman. He's like, you know what? A sign of goodwill would probably go a long way here. Maybe we should get the family and Stone Tree out because he's injured. Although another cop also got shot. But yeah, fuck that guy. Let's get Stone Tree out. The wounded. I think he just says the wounded. So they take the wounded and the family out. Now we're back in the past again. This must be really disconcerting for Natalie because he'll be talking to the gunman and then he must just drift off. She's like, no, Nick. No, Nick. Nick. Keep it come together. Back. Come, come back. back. Come on. Come on back. Listen to my voice. Right now. Stay, stay in the now. Stay in the now, Nick. Chained to a gun, Nick. Chained to a gun, Nick. Uh, but it doesn't work because he goes back to the past. And this is when they're like, we have one last crate. It's not a big crate. It's like 18 inches by 24 inches. It's a rather small crate. He could have just ripped it open and been like, oh, that one looks like it says Aberat on the cover. There's probably like six books in it. It wouldn't have taken. But anyway, that, that's beside the point. It's 90s physics. We didn't have time to do anything. Right. It's great. It was chained to the table and we couldn't. It has a it. plot device on it. Which makes it too heavy to lift yeah. and impossible to open. Yeah. And then we go back to the present. We're flip-flopping quick now because we're getting into the climax of both things. And the guy's like, you know what? We're going to sit here until you get me Jimmy. And then we're all going to take a walk in the sunshine. And he pulls the blinds back and like a shaft of early morning sunlight Right. This has through. gone on long enough that what it must have been like. Eight or nine hours. <laughs> no, I think point. it's because that's why we established that Skanky was working the night shift. Oh, it wasn't like the beginning of right because the day he's or working whatever. the whole night shift, and he's like, "Oh, you, it's the witching hour. You learn to love it, especially if you have no choice." So we're obviously right around three o'clock or so. So this gotcha. could have been an hour or two that this has been going on, and now sunrise is coming, and the, Natalie again looks afraid for Nick. Natalie, you are chained to a gun. Your priority right now is yourself. Stop looking at Nick like, oh, no, what if they find out about Nick? Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit about Nick right now, Natalie? Uh, and Nick does the little, like, look down and think, like, oh, oh no, 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 like, calculating. What am I going to do? 
And then we go back to Germany and it's time to escape. And so they have to get Bernard. And Nick is like, okay, I'm going to open this door. I'm going to punch this dude. You guys go to the catacombs and I am going to get Bernard and meet you there. And they're like, okay. I mean, he's their best opportunity to get out of this and to get Bernard. For them, worst case scenario is Bernard dies or gets left behind. Nick dies or gets left behind and they get out. Yeah. Getting two thirds of the family out is an acceptable compromise. Yeah. And so he sneaks them out the back way. He opens the door, punches the guy, rips the lock off a door, and they're like, hey, wasn't that locked? How did you? And he's like, never mind. Don't even think about it. Shh. How did you? Never mind. Let's go. It happened. Um, don't worry. It's going to get way worse. And he lets them go so that they can go to the... Yeah, I'm going to give you a lot more things to ignore pretty soon. This is going to look like small potatoes in a second. Don't worry about it. And so he, of course, takes off to go get Bernard. Whoosh. Whoosh is off. Literally takes off to go get Bernard. And so they've loaded Bernard into this car. And the guy hears like a thump on the roof. (laughs) I don't know that he even hears anything. He gets out to smoke a cigarette. Well, he gets out and he turns around. I think we hear a thump. Yeah. But... He's just getting out, smoking. He's looking away. He gets out a cigarette. He's lighting it. And then he just turns around and shoes at eye level. <laughs> There's feet on the roof because Nick has just landed on the roof of this car. <laughs> and he, like, punches the guy. Which, does that make him lucky number 15? Right, because he's, I think he's vamped out. Yeah. Or... Oh, yeah, because he looks up and Nick is all like... <laughs> down at him and then he just knocks him out so unless he kills him which he contends he hasn't killed anybody in a hundred years with his teeth i want to point out right that's that's my qualifier on nick's statement that he hasn't killed anybody right he hasn't killed anybody in a vampire way right the human way yeah but he's allowed to do things the human way He can murder like a person, but he can't murder like a vampire. Right. It's an important distinction. And then he gets Bernard out, and or they drive. And he's like, sorry, I'm not used to driving. Okay, Nick. <laughs> he gets him out. And uh, he ends up hypnotizing him into sleep and then taking off with him because he has to fly to the catacombs. He literally takes off with them. And then they get to the catacombs, and he wakes them up. He's like, oh, did I pass out? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's... um." It's fine. But you're awake now. That's what matters. So they get in the catacomb. And I want to point out that if he can fly with a person, he could have just had them go to sleep and flown them over the wall. Flown all of them. One by one. And then hypnotizing them into thinking they went through the catacombs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nick doesn't always think things through. He's not, he's not what you might call a planner. A planner. Because he gets in the catacombs and they're being chased by some police. And he's like, oh, LaCroix. Because, of course, LaCroix gave the police the location of the catacombs. Of Of course course he did. And so he's like, you guys go ahead. I know how to handle machine guns. This is going to be fine. I'll catch up with you in a minute. And so he stays behind to take out the dudes, take out the police. And Lily is like, you know what? I should check and make sure he's okay. So she goes back. She turns around and goes back to check on him. And honestly, if Nick could figure out 
how to not turn around and growl at people, we wouldn't have a television show because we would never get to see him as a vampire, I guess. So maybe that's why they keep having him in these situations where clearly this woman, he doesn't want to know that he's a vampire, sneaks up on him and he turns around and he's like, again, because he just got done killing the guards with the machine guns, hopefully the human way, uh, even though he's mm. vamped out. Well, like, hmm. Mm. Mm. Well, we don't know that he actually kills them. He incapacitates them in some way. Yeah. And then he pulls down a support beam for the tunnel. And, and traps them in there. Which, why was the support beam lined up with the middle of the door? It's almost like they thought, oh, we need a beam for him to pull down. Look, we'll just stick a two by four in front of the door. It's so you can backlight the whole thing and he can pull yeah. it down in silhouette. And then he right. can do his monster hands again. His like, that's ah. <laughs> probably when he he tenses his arms and his hands. His fingers just do that. Matt has unusually long fingers. This is what led to this hypothesis. And he's doing monster hands right now, and it's extremely. I'm, I'm just flexing my hands, and they go straight. Yeah, like, that's what he does. And you know what? We're going to start recording our episodes so that we can put them up on YouTube. With a video camera. With a video. With a video camera. <laughs> hey, we're already recording. I mean, that's visually recording our episodes <laughs> so that you'll be able to see Matt's monster hands. So, you know, just keep an eye out for that. Uh, but he destroys the tunnels uh, so that no other refugees can use these to escape. So that's probably good because they'd find a lot of dead bodies. Is it killing somebody if you pull down, if you cut off their means of escape and leave them in there so they starve to death? Do you kill we them could, or does hunger kill them? <laughs> that's uh, that's a legal definition. <laughs> I think Nick is very good at legal definitions. Uh, he leaves. He leaves. Like, kind of. He goes and catches up with everybody and they're stuck. It's a dead end. And he's like, well, the other way is a dead end now, too. So we're going to have to get our way through this. I probably should have checked to make sure the tunnels were open. <laughs> I mm. probably should have checked to make okay, sure. Okay, on, on the... And they did, does he, is it killing them? Okay. It depends on what you were trying to do. Are you trying to trap them in there? Or are you just trying to, are, are you just trying to block the way? Yeah. If he wasn't doing it specifically to trap them, then I don't think it's murder. But is he responsible <laughs> for them dying? Yes, so his it would be, acts are isn't that manslaughter, accidental manslaughter yeah, when your actions result? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, he hasn't killed anybody in a hundred years with his teeth, as long as we <laughs> the <laughs> vampire <laughs> way, the vampire way. Now, what if you use your vampire strength to pull down the support pillar? Oh, have you killed them is with that, your vampireness? Is that the vampire way, or is that the human way via vampire strength? Well, you wouldn't have been able to do it if you weren't a vampire. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Questions for But he's not doing it with his teeth. He hasn't fed on anybody. He should probably just phrase it as, I haven't fed on anyone. Right. Although... Because they do explain that once you start feeding on someone, yeah, they have to die. They have to or die. You're committed. they turn into a vampire. Zombie. Or in one case, zombie. <laughs> That's fine. We're going to ditch it. We've got one more episode left of these rules, and then they're all going to change. So we don't have okay. to unpack them right now. We don't ever have to unpack them because we're about to be done with them. 
But he destroys these tunnels. And when he gets caught up with the main group, they're at a dead end. So thank God he can get them through this dead end. Otherwise, they are trapped in an underground tunnel that has no escape with a vampire. But it turns out the only thing that's blocking it is like a metal sheet. So he just rips the metal sheet down and he's like, oh, yeah, that was loose. (laughs) (laughs) Stiff breeze would have taken that down. Uh, no, you, they, you were just pulling <clears throat> on the wrong part of the door. Yeah, they definitely noticed that this was something that he should not have been able to rip down. And he's again like, "Don't just don't ask. Just just be thankful. Just don't ask. Just don't ask." Our son says that if he doesn't want if he doesn't want to lie to you, he goes, "Just don't ask." <laughs> <laughs> and then we're on the streets of West Berlin, and the breeze is blowing, and people are walking on the streets, and Nick is like. You're so welcome. And so he leans in to give her a kiss and she does the like turn away you kiss my forehead thing. This is the most chaste kiss they have. This is the most I am accepting this man's attention because I need him that we've had so far. Right. Because the chemistry between them is so awkward and so like this guy is forcing his attention on me in a way that makes me wildly uncomfortable. Right. And it's all it must be like reflexive for him. Yeah, well, I think it was supposed to be like a flirty chemistry, but she's not selling Right. And it works much better this way. Yeah. Like, significantly better. I'm really thankful it, would it didn't be, work. It would be insincere for yeah. this person who's stuck, basically kept prisoner in this city, to so easily um, enter into a, a, rom- a spontaneous romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I don't trust you, but I would totally do you. Would not have worked. Right. Right. Especially not after he stares at you for five minutes, which is like. <laughs> 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 I just want everyone to imagine that from now on. Every time Nick is like two inches away from somebody's face and, and they're trying to talk to him and he's just staring at them. You know you can hear him breathing. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> And so he's like, well, I got to go back. I got to go back because I left that crate behind um, and I got to go get it. And so he heads back. And in the meantime, Lacroix has shown up, opened the lid of the crate, pulled the abarat out of it because oh, it was abarat. just on time. And he's like, oh, look at that. So he's waiting by the door. Because after after the, the family yeah. goes down the street, Nick goes back. Because he to can get just that crate. fly over, which is how he got there in the first place. So he just flies over to get it, and the library's on fire. And Lacroix is standing outside the door, and he's got the aberrant, and he flips it open. And he's like, oh, what's this? The cure for vampirism? Oh, my. Butterfingers! And he just whoop, tosses it into the fire. And then we get, like, a flash-flash between the present and the past, where Nick is trying to save the aberrant, but the guy has also thrown the grenade. He pushes Natalie towards yes, Nick. Yes, the guy in the police precinct. Has thrown a grenade. Yeah, which so, he didn't throw it at anybody. Well, he just you don't he need f- to you don't need to aim a grenade. You yeah. just need it in the general vicinity. So yeah. he tosses it, and Nick jumps over the desk to catch it. He catches the grenade, but he does not catch the aberrant. So the aberrant oh no burns, and the claw is like, oh my god, I am so not sorry. <laughs> he does not catch gotcha. it. <laughs> <laughs> you thought yeah we don't get any follow-up of that because you know lacroix was just like peace and he just flipped him the bird and flew off <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just imagining like 
Nick having to walk through the road, you know, just to, um, you know, play it human so that he, he can get somewhere that he can get out because, you know, people have come crowded around the building to put the fire out, whatever. And he's yeah. like, okay, I have to pretend to be human for a little while. And I just need to walk away from here in a non-suspicious way. <laughs> but then at a distance only he can see Laquaz just floating up in the air, just watching him and like following along with him <laughs> from like 200 <laughs> feet up in the air. Like, <laughs> So there's a scene and this is the end, which is a very adult movie. And if you are under the age of 18, do not watch this is the end. We do have some under the under 18 listeners, but oh. um. If you watch This Is The End, there's a scene where James Franco is, this is a big spoiler alert, I'm so sorry, fast forward like 30 seconds if you haven't watched the movie, he's getting like raptured up into heaven. And so he flips the guy off and he's like, suck it, <laughs> this fingers. And he ends up not getting taken to heaven. But right, it stops. I like to imagine that's how LaCroix flies off every single time. Suck it, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> But Soda Voce, Soda Voce, suck it, Nick. <laughs> you do it because you've got a deep voice. <laughs> suck it. <clears throat> no, I couldn't quite do it. You're like, no, I'm not even for alcohol. No, I won't do it. No. Yeah. Suck it, Nick. <laughs> it just flies off. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then we go back to the future and back to the future. And Nick has caught the grenade and he squishes the grenade like, like an overripe... <laughs> vegetable he just <laughs> crushes this and he's like yes and he holds it up and everyone's like oh my god because nick of course was never in any danger so he was like guys i caught that did you see that that was pretty sweet I jumped over the desk and everything and they're like is it gonna explode and we're all gonna die and he just tosses it to skanky i know he does he just and skanky catches it like oh <laughs> Like, it's really hard to be your partner sometimes. <laughs> Skanky does shoot the bad guy, though. Yeah. He's been hiding under the desk this whole time. And Nick finally gets him a good shot because he, when he pushes Natalie at Nick, he can shoot the bad guy. So he shoot Skanky shoots the bad guy. So he does get to be kind of the hero, too. But when Nick tosses the crushed grenade to Skanky and he catches it, he has such a forlorn look like, I'm never going to get any of this explained to me. Am I? <laughs> no, no, you're not. Uh, sorry, Skanky. Sorry, Skanky. And we come back to, they're all at the desk. And they're all hanging right, out the at gathering the, place. the gathering place. And they're all hanging out there. And Stone Tree shows up. And he's like, the boys at the lab said the the grenade was a dud. It's a good, good thing the grenade was a dud. Yep. So I'm pretty sure you can't disarm a grenade by squishing it in your hand. <laughs> I don't I don't know what research has been done on that, but I just get to say, you know, off offhandedly. Right. There's a fuse that goes down the middle that's burning down the middle of the grenade. Yeah. And if you crushed it, you'd have a pretty good chance of exposing the burning fuse to the fuel material inside the grenade. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think crushing it would. It's a plot hole. They off. needed to wrap it up. The grenade was a dud. Dudzo. And uh, they're like, well, Stone Tree, are you going to be okay? He said, yeah, the doctor said I should be all right. Got me right in the meat. And so Skanky says, well, that's one of the benefits of being overweight, I guess. How's your arm? Doctor says I'll probably never even remember it. Lucky for me, he got me in the meat. You're a lucky guy, Captain. I guess... Uh, <clears throat> Being overweight sometimes can be a lifesaver. 
What I mean is uh, being, you know, stocky and, and, and well-built. Well, what I mean is being muscular and, and well-constructed. Detective, how long has it been since you've had to go out and bring in architects? Coffee's brewing. And this must have been, this must have been ad lib by John Capellos because Natalie Catherine Disher is losing it over on the side. She is trying to hold it together as hard as she can because he is trying to backpedal from this statement. He's like, I mean, um, stocky and well built. <laughs> <laughs> and Stonetree just says, "When was the last time you had to deal with parking tickets?" <laughs> and Skanky goes, "Oh, coffee's done," and he just. <laughs> And then Stonetree's trying to have a heart-to-heart with Nick, but Nick has drifted off again. He's loosely tethered in time right now anyway. And he On has, a good day. On a good day. <laughs> and today's not a good day. So he has drifted back to the past. And Stonetree actually goes, Nick, you there? Good there. The land family's very grateful. You got them all out. None of them got hurt. Nick, you there? Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. I was thinking about something else. <laughs> Nick's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about another family from another time. Because Stone Tree's like, thanks for saving the family, Nick. You remembered what was important. Nobody is concerned about the fact that Natalie just had a shotgun 12 inches from the back of her head for hours. She's at work. She didn't get counseling. She didn't get a day <laughs> off. She got nothing. They were like, well, it's part of what you accept when you take on the job. What? Hostage situations? Who takes the corner? She's the corner. <laughs> she was just showing up to deliver some paperwork. If she was a police officer, maybe. Um, guys, can we pretend for a second that we care how Natalie is feeling? Just dig deep. Find it in your heart <laughs> to remember that uh, there is absolutely no reason why Natalie should be okay with what just happened to her. And the fact that literally no one was concerned. Um, Nick was mildly concerned about her, but Stone Tree was only concerned about the family. Um, I just want to leave everybody with that. And uh, I'm sorry, Catherine Disher, that your character wasn't considered way more important. You know how much different of a show this would be if we'd made Natalie a real character? Right, like a, a third main character? Like a third main character. So we'd had Skanky. St- even if she had her own, like, she had her own foil, ca- like Grace. If we'd made Grace. Right. Or, or if we'd made, this would have been really interesting, Natalie and Jeanette friends. Do you know how Ooh. many fun scenes we could have had? Right. And Jeanette probably has very few human friends who know about vampires. Right. Because the enforcers kill them. Remember those guys? Oh, yes, those guys. Yeah, the, the, that we never mentioned again. The, yeah, no, no. Yeah. We forgot about them, but they're there. Um, yeah, I think that would have been so much fun. But we don't ever give her any kind of sovereignty as a character, even in situations like this. And it's really a missed opportunity. But he goes back to his stone, his uh, flat. <laughs> his apartment. His apartment. Thank you. God, it was gone. Um, and he gets a voicemail, which he must have called. I think some time has passed. So he must have contacted them and been like, hey, how are you? Or whatever. But we get a voicemail from Lily. And she gives us an update. Bernard got to be an engineer at BMW. And her dad is still alive somehow. And she's doing good. She named her first son Nicholas. And she's continuing to look for the Aberat because she knows he's a vampire and that's why he wants to be cured. And so she's trying to help him. He's not looking for the Aberat at all, but that's fine. 
So thank you for continuing to try long after he's given up. And that's pretty much it, except that I want to point out, he takes the bottle out of his refrigerator. He fills his glass and he sets the bottle on the shelf right next to his refrigerator and just leaves it there. And I wonder how often he finds bottles of rancid blood that he sat around and just forgot. Well, hold on. On the vein of bottles sitting out for a while, do you remember the episode where he... pulled he, it out of the fireplace? Yeah. Yeah. He'd, he'd gone cold turkey on blood. Yeah. Feeding the beast. And then when he was just really jonesing it's like come on you know do you think he was <laughs> standing by his bottle? do you think he was standing by his gothic monstrosity of a mantelpiece and he was just like oh there's too many cherubs i don't know where to set it and so he just like reached stuck in and it. stuck it on the inside and then forgot about it okay th- that's part of why i contend that the there's some kind of preservation process there that vampires know how to put the blood through yeah that makes it shelf stable because if they've been doing this for a long time, if it was more than like 60 years ago, there's no such thing as a refrigerator. Yeah. And Jeanette you, doesn't you might have a cold hers. box. Right. Jeanette she, has like a wine cellar. Right. Yeah. So we it's, actually, it's probably shelf stable. We actually get a whole episode kind of unpacking some of their bottling habits, but mm. that's not going to be until like the third to last episode. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't tell you about it. I'm trying to live a spoiler-free life. I think I'm doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. I warned everybody about that. This is the end. Spoiler. Yep. Um, yeah. Kudos. Thank you. That's pretty much it. We have an Instagram. Um, like I always say, I keep it updated. We have 120 followers now. Which I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Every time I post a reel, I get the trend spotter badge. Trend spotter or trend setter? Trend spotter. Mm. I don't know what that means. And I don't agree. <laughs> Kate's like, that's because you do stuff that's so different than everybody else. And I'm like, oh, do I? Do I? Because I put a still image up. I put an effect on it. Maybe a little moving sticker and some music. And then I'm like, I made real. And I posted. But apparently that's trendy. So I don't know. You just unpack that however you want to. It's fine. It's fine. I don't have any, I don't have any qualms about how you treat that suitcase. And, but I would like you to come follow us on Instagram because I'm, I'm kind of funny. I don't know. And it's on there and it's available and it's kind of fun to interact with people. I actually got genuine fan interaction that was not Meg or someone I'm related to. Not that we don't love you, Meg, but I got somebody else. Or a host. Or a host. Yeah. Somebody else was like, oh, they really liked our last episode. Fatal mistake. They liked our fatal mistake episode. Because apparently it's a fan not favorite. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite. It's not not my favorite. Uh, it's a dude episode. And that's what we said. And that's what they appreciated. So, you know, it's accurate. So I stand by that. That was written by a guy. I don't know why men love to have this fantasy of a woman that pines for you for literally forever. But, you know, flipping the script, we just read that book by, let's see, in A Court of Thorns and Roses, there's a guy who holds a torch for a woman for 500 years. So this is a common trope, I guess, male and female both. But honestly, that's not going to happen. You just, you are a woman in a time when women don't have power. And you have just been given unlimited power and the ability to do whatever you want, complete freedom to be and do 
and go wherever you want. You are not like, I think I'm going to use every single one of my long years to hunt down that asshole that I knew for like four hours one time. You're like, well, an unfortunate thing has happened. Should I see him? I think I will eviscerate him and make his skin into a purse. But until that time, I think I'm just going to go enjoy myself. So that's my take on that, which I think uh, I... We have our first Patreon-exclusive episode. Oh, yes. Thank you for um, maintaining focus during my rant. Um, I appreciate that. Yes, we had our, our first Patreon-exclusive episode, which is actually us watching the next episode. The Love season, you to death. season finale. The season finale. And I did not remember the ending. I guess it's been a really long time since I watched the season finale. So sign up for the Patreon and listen for what the surprise was that Rachel relearned <laughs> at the end of the episode. Plus you get to hear us have a drunken rant about the importance of intimacy and human sexuality for like 45 minutes. After the episode finishes. <laughs> After the episode is finished. <laughs> it's a listen along. So it's us watching the episode we, we give you some markers yeah, we on give when you a couple of markers. start and stop uh, the episode, while we were whatever. still capable of giving markers yes we yeah. give some markers and yeah, then over so, time it just devolves into so you get to hear our running commentary while we watched the episode and then another 45 minutes of extemporaneous ranting. yes yeah it was vaguely related because it is more of a it's in a a yeah we'll talk about it when we get to the next episode but or, it's a uh or uh, sign up and listen to find out. Yeah, or exactly. We are on Patreon and Instagram as Strange and Beautiful Book Club. The whole thing. Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Uh, we also have our website, which I haven't fixed. Uh, I just need to hire a web developer maybe, but that's like we need more Patreons and then I'll put up a really nice website. And it's strangeandbeautiful.club. But you can email us. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but we do have email addresses. You can email me at Rachel at Strange and Beautiful Book Club, or you can email Matt. Strangeandbeautiful.club. Strangeandbeautiful.club. Rachel's at strangeandbeautiful.club. Matt at strangeandbeautiful.club. Those will go to us, or you can email the hosts at strangeandbeautiful.club, and that will go to both of us. And we still have our recommendation form, so if you have something you'd like to see us watch or read, and we haven't watched or read it yet, feel free to go ahead and drop one in there. I want to know, would you guys like us to take a break and do something different between season one and season two? Because we got that recommendation for Into the Flesh, and it's really good. And since The Last of Us just wrapped up, I feel like it'd be a good time to review some zombie content. Or we could just go ahead and crash headlong into season two. I don't know. If you have an opinion, feel free to weigh in. Comment on the Instagram or send us an email. Ooh, can you do a poll on Instagram? I, yes, I can do a poll on Instagram. Yeah, I did that for our 100th listener, which I'm still going to get a cameo from John Capellas because that was the only vote we got. Thank you, Meg. I just, you know, I'm saving up the funds, which is actually super reasonable. I'm just like, I'm going to plug John Capellas' cameo right now. It's like $20 for a video for a recorded like voice message. And it's like $45 for a video message of like two minutes. Oh. I mean, for John Capellos to personally record a message for you between $20 and $45, I, I was like, John, don't sell yourself short. I'd have paid twice that. So anyway, I'm just pointing that out. That's available. He's got one. I think Catherine Disher has one, too. Ooh. So you could get Catherine Disher or what John Capellos. What about Garrett? No. 
Oh. No, he's too busy in his like French hotel or <laughs> being a Shakespearean something on the stage uh, too. You know, he has a fun, varied career. Every, they all do. Um, but he's less, I don't know, neither one of, none of them have like social media presences in the way that modern actors do. And by modern actors, I mean young actors. <laughs> but they're right. far more comfortable having social media profiles. Unless you're Pedro Pascal and then you just really love social media apparently. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just going to wrap this up. So so remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Hold on, give me that drink. I'll try the suck it, Nick. <laughs>